Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. So how did you learn about the end of the world? It's episode 339 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and this week we're going to revisit the Amazon series Utopia. It's been out for about a month now that we've had a chance to let it simmer. I thought it'd be a good time to get somebody on from the show. So how about Wilson Wilson himself, Desmond Borges, going to join me this week to talk about Utopia. Maybe we'll do some spoiler-free stuff if you haven't seen it yet. Maybe for some diehard fans, we'll do some spoiler questions just to kind of balance things out a little bit. There's a lot more going on this week, too. I mean, there's big news about the Snyder Cut, in case you haven't heard it. There's a streaming service that's gone under. Some really interesting new comics that I'm going to talk about this week as well. But how about we start things off with a review of another Amazon series that's going to be coming just before Halloween. A spoiler-free review of Truth Seekers is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Cassia Teller from The 100, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The truth is out there. The question is, will they find it? That's right. We've got Truth Seekers coming up on Amazon Prime Video on October the 30th. Got an early look at the series. So I'm just going to give you my initial first impressions of the show obviously spoiler free since the show is not out yet but the show actually follows Gus Roberts he seems like a simple installer of you know wi-fi and broadband and things like that he's the the best repair guy in the biz for a company called Smile and you know his boss says who better to train the next Gus Roberts than Gus Roberts so Gus takes on a partner named Elton John ironically enough and it's some it's it's interesting because you know Gus obviously doesn't want a partner he says he works better alone yada 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 well Gus also moonlights as a paranormal investigator so it's funny how kind of Gus and Elton are very much on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to something like that but at the same time as you're watching the series you realize just how perfect their partnership is and there's something about Elton that early on in the series you can't really put your finger on it right but you know that something is different about him something is not quite normal about Gus and I'll let you decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or you know where that's going as you watch the series because I'm obviously not going to spoil it for you there's also something super creepy that happens in the first episode that's going to set something up going forward in this series. And and I got to tell you, first of all, this is a show that had every chance in the world to be corny because there have been shows like this that kind of go on the horror comedy sort of realm and it doesn't really work. Like certain fusion cuisines, right? Like two, there's just certain things that should never be put together because it, they don't complement each other. But the way that this series is put together, and Gus, by the way, very, very likable character. That is one of the things that, and I've said this a million times before, right? You have to have likable characters in your series. Otherwise, you know, where is it really going to go? 
beyond that. Now, here's the thing. Part of that is the performance in this series by Nick Frost, quite frankly. And, and you know, he does such a great job in this role. And there's more to Gus than meets the eye, too. You just... it. it it's going to take a little bit longer to sort of peel that onion, as it were. So, but as enjoyable as his performance is, and then you've got Elton's performance is, is great, very good as well by Samson K.O. But they complement each other so, so well in this series. It's a, it's a great, I don't want to say buddy comedy, because I'm not sure that they're actually buddies. But it's funny how, you know, Gus kind of takes a liking to Elton. A little bit. And is the feeling mutual? Well, it's hard to say. You just have to watch the show and find out. But it's interesting to see how things go and how things escalate as the series goes on. Because you know from the trailer that things kind of get cranked up a little bit after the first couple of episodes. I don't have to. That's certainly not a spoiler if you've seen the trailer. But this show definitely has its moments of being funny. Is it funny all the time? No. It also has its moments where it's got some good scares. Is it scary all the time? Again, no. But there's also some interesting, I don't want to say side stories to this, but each episode has its own kind of story up to a certain point, which I think is a really, really interesting way to go, especially in a series that has eight episodes in its first season. But you get a chance to tell some different stories and some different angles, and it's very, very cool. And there are jump scares in this, and normally you think, ah, jump scares, really? They're not bad jump scares, by the way. And some of the, for lack of a better way of putting it, ghosts that you see, some pr- pretty creepy designs there. There's plenty of times in this show where you're going to feel uneasy, maybe a little bit freaked out, depending on how you handle you know, horror-related type stuff. But I got to tell you, you know, if you don't enjoy the really scary movies or scary series that come out around Halloween, or you don't really enjoy the stuff that's just super corny, not scary at all, and and not really that funny, this is that middle ground. I think this show, Truth Seekers, is that meaty part of the curve where it's got some definitely, it's definitely got some good horror elements It's definitely got some good comedy elements, but it's also got that pairing of Gus and Elton that just really, really works in this first season. And you get to find out more and more about those characters as the series goes on as well. And, And they sort of find out, almost stumble upon the fact that, you know, they might be dealing with something greater than they really expected. And then you wonder how they're going to handle that, too. That's also part of the series going forward. So I will say based on the trailer, the trailer doesn't give away much. I know we talked about the trailer last week. The trailer does not give away much. So you certainly don't need to worry about that, but it does give you a nice basis for what the series is going to be about, but get ready to really like at least a couple of these characters. Simon Pegg's character is pretty entertaining as well. And Simon Pegg almost unrecognizable by the way, as Dave, it's just really, really great the way, what, what he does in this series. But I think that Amazon's got something very neat on their hands here. I think it's 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 a lighthearted way to bring something into Halloween that you you don't always see. It's funny at times. It's scary at times. It's it's a really nice blend of the two. So October the thirtieth is when you can start binging Truth Seekers. 
on Amazon Prime Video, and maybe you'll get your own paranormal investigating on while you're watching the show. I, the things will definitely seem more creepy in your house after you watch it. I can guarantee that. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Truth Seekers from Amazon Prime Video. Up next, how about we talk about another Amazon Prime Video series, Utopia. We'll chat about that with Wilson Wilson himself. Desmond Borges joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Dave Gastmalchin, creator of Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One series you've probably binged quite a bit already, or at least you've gotten into by now, is Amazon Prime Video's Utopia, and it is one crazy ride, let me tell you. And this guy is a big part of that. He plays Wilson Wilson on the show, Desmond Borges. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Going good, man. Going good. I mean, I I really want to know how it's going for you, though. It's been about a month now that the show's been out. What's the response been like for you? Um, You know, I mean, I think with, you know, anything that's as polarizing as a conspiracy thriller draped with a national pandemic storyline you're going to get you know the 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 people who think you know it's not the right time or it hits a little too close to home for them and then you're going to get the complete opposite reaction where uh people are just craving it binging it you know like it's just some yummy soup and uh, looking for more of it so i feel like we've gotten probably a pretty healthy dose of both of those. At the same time, though, there's got to be a little bit of on your end. You're like, hey, guys, you know, like we didn't know, right? I mean, you guys shot this way before any of this stuff started going down. It's not like you could have predicted this like Utopia. Yeah, no, I mean, unless Gillian Flynn is some, you know, mind-melting czar from the future that right? we'll find out later in time. Um, no, but, you, you know, it, it. one of the things that, you know, we've we've been kind of, you know, chatting about between the cast as, you know, questions have come up and we've been, you know, chatting with other different people is that while, you know, everyone is in the same basis of dealing with this national pandemic, we're also really dealing with a national mental health crisis. And while everyone's scared and isolated and really tired of everything that's going on and just wants to get back to, whatever is quote unquote normal, there's a lot of anxiety and stress to still be kind of left on the table. And we're a pretty easy target to throw that at. Mm -hmm. So while, you know, we started shooting it in April of 2019 and finished just before October of 2019, almost five months, four months before any cases seriously hit the U.S., you know, people tend to still make the connection more than not thus far. Luckily within the show, you know, the Gillian's done such a great job of weaving in some really dark comedy into this kind of crazy, crazy grab you by the neck conspiracy thriller that, you know, it gives you moments of brevity and moments to kind of laugh and sink in and actually follow along with some of these characters that you might, you know, uh, personalize with just a bit. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, Wilson Wilson's definitely one of the most interesting characters on the show. I think that kind of is an understatement, actually. What's your favorite thing about him? (laughs) That he has such great family ties. You know, I grew up in a uh, Chicago brownstone in the early 80s in Chicago, and I was living, you know, we had uh, um, seven different family members in the house and I'm Puerto Rican, Italian and Greek. So we kind of had all those flavors in the home at 
any one given time. And a lot of like that sort of family style living together has really gone to the wayside as you know, the decades have passed. And I like the fact that Wilson still lives at home with his dad and his uncle and his cousins. And, you know, they still share that sort of old familial sort of Chicago blue collar, you know, vibe and essence, uh, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Now, when we first meet the group of friends from the online chat, of course, there's kind of an innocence and an excitement about them in the early going. Do you feel like that mm. bond that they developed in those moments is kind of what helped them to hold it together when everything started going to hell around them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of weird. I don't know where you were when everyone started first getting computers in their homes, but I, you know, I, I don't want to date myself here, but I was in my early to mid teens. And when AOL like messenger came up and chat rooms started happening, there was like this whole world that kind of opened up that I didn't really even know was possible. And since this like, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you know, half the time you didn't know if you were, speaking with the person who you thought you were speaking with. And this is like one of the things that Wilson Wilson like really harps on, which is why he vets everyone that he talks to on the, on the internet. So specifically before he actually allows them in. But I mean, this is their only base of communication for well over a year. So once they actually met at fringe con and the, the, the vibe between them was what was super easy because they had really developed something online that, that I think ultimately is unbreakable and it only further deepens, you know, uh, w- once they got to know each other and once they started going through the craziness together. However, I, I'm, for those who haven't seen it, I, I don't want to say too much more, but unbreakable might've been the wrong word. Cause I think there might be some things that happen throughout the show that could break us, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, it's a nice little tease right there for anybody who's, who's not into it yet or hasn't gotten too far. Now, I always felt like Wilson, as I was watching the show anyway, it's, it just felt to me like he was going to be the go-to guy when it came to solving this whole mystery of Utopia. How much did you know about how big of a role he would play going into this season? You know, when I met with Gillian and Toby, when we were first figuring out if I was going to be the right fit for Wilson Wilson, we we spoke for a bit in the room before we went through the couple of scenes that I was auditioning with. And based on my prior knowledge of the uh, British version by Dennis Kelly, I had, you know, a solid idea in my mind of the overall track and arc of Wilson there and what Gillian was wanting to do with Wilson here. I did not know that um, we were going to take it in the specific direction that we took it in at first, but after I had signed on to do the role and then got all of the scripts, um, it was uh, it was it was pretty clear the the path that that Gillian was describing to me when we first met was. Um, even a little bit uh, deeper and darker than what I had ma- what I had uh, uh, originally imagined. Speaking of deeper and darker, now and, and this is going to be a little difficult to talk about without spoiling anything. I'm just going to put that out there right now. But to say that episode two was not a great one for you is mm-hmm. kind of an understatement. So just kind of talk a little bit. How intense was it shooting those scenes in the bunker? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of it, it, 
they're 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 kind of bittersweet because it's the first place that I have like a sleepover with friends in mm-hmm. real life. So you, he's at kind of a high, and then he meets Arby and Rod, and the most disgusting, catastrophic sort of imaginable thing that could happen to one person does happen to him in that bunker. And so we, you know, really get to swing the pendulum there. But I will say uh, going through, I guess we can label it a torture scene. We'll do that so that Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily spoil anything, but going through that uh, torture scene with um, Arby and Rod was kind of cathartic and really exhilarating and super exhausting at the same time and i do it again in a heartbeat because it it was nice because chris denham who plays arby and i had been friends already and uh, had never gotten to work together so we were both really psyched that we were getting to just kind of you know peel back the onion with this one <laughs> i was yeah. trying to think of something that didn't that, necessarily that's one way to put it that's for sure yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> peeling back the onion Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. We're talking to Desmond Borges, who, of course, plays Wilson Wilson on Utopia, which you can watch right now on Amazon Prime Video. Desmond, this show can have a really, I mean, just keeps you on the edge. You see it a lot. There's a lot of crazy moments going on throughout. What did you all kind of do to keep things fun and light on set when cameras weren't rolling? A lot of stinging. Uh, Dan Bird is... Uh, who plays Ian knows Moana from front to back. Um, so that, so that was nice. And, you know, we got to do um, a lot of car riding together. Cause even though we were shooting in a lot of our, you know, beautiful hometown of Chicago, many of us in the cast have deep roots to Chicago. We actually didn't shoot in Chicago proper a lot. We shot you know, in the outskirts, in Manuka, um, you know, kind of, you know, all over the place. So uh, we would carpool together because, you know, got to stay green. And, um, you know, plus shooting late hours, it helps keep me up since I was usually the one who was driving. But, you know, in the car, we would all bond over just kind of music and art I would say was something that we would chat about a lot but not not specifically high art just kind of you know the 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 loose term art in general dance music uh films things like that and then on set we all bonded over food we're all like great foodies and Chicago in my opinion is one of the top food cities Mm -hmm. in the world and um having not been home for quite a few years we all got to kind of um reinvigorate our taste buds you know and just go out and enjoy some good food and some good drinks together and get away from the wacky world that's utopia and just be be humans for a little bit no doubt about that before i let you go desmond a couple quick teases here were you surprised when you found out who mr rabbit was going to be yes and no i think what i was more surprised about is that mr rabbit may not only be one person Ooh, I like that. I like that. And everybody that's what just start watching show is going, oh, he just blew the lid off my whole thinking. You just threw I mean, everybody through a loop on that one. I love it. Okay. One more for you. After the events of the final episode, which we're obviously not going to spoil, what do you hope to see in a possible second season? I'd like to see more of what home is. We talk about it a lot, particularly with Jessica. We're trying, as we're trying to decipher, you know, the first of all, the pages that 
you know, Grant left at Alice's place. So we don't have all of Utopia in our hands. And we're trying to figure out what this place home is like and how, how we're trying to help her get there because that ultimately is going to help us solve the riddle, right? I, I would like to see more about what home is and whether or not it's um, an organic place where people can nourish their souls and their minds, or if it really is as dark and dastardly as it seems at times in dystopia. So I'd like to see more of that. And I'd like to get another run at Arby. I think after uh, our first interaction, Wilson might have some uh, choice words and uh, hopefully I've learned some choice moves from Jessica along the way that he can, you know, uh, enact a little revenge. That would be nice. Oh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. But first, that means you guys have got to watch season one of Utopia on Amazon Prime Video. All the episodes streaming right now, eight episodes, really good binge, especially I think like a, hol- uh, a Halloween weekend thing too. I think this would actually work cool. really good yeah. for Halloween. And check this guy out while you're at it. It's Desmond Borges. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Hey, this is comic book creator Jason Sean Alexander, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sometimes when it comes to comics, you're just looking for something new. So no matter what you're reading that on, it's time for what we're reading and a couple of new books. Well, one of them almost a spinoff of a very popular series. How about Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn, number one from DC's Black Label, from Katana Collins and Sean Murphy doing the writing on this one, Mateo Scalera on the art, Dave Stewart on the colors, Sean Murphy, of course, how could you not have Sean Murphy draw something? You had to get him at least do the cover and doing that along with Matt Hollingsworth. Now, some spoilers here for this book. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, going to do just a few spoilers in this review. Now, Harley seems to be kind of setting off on more of like a domestic life, right? I mean, she's raising twins. She has a new job. There's no more. This is the biggest spoiler of all in this review. There's no more Joker. I won't tell you the the circumstances or anything like that, but no more Joker. Now, even though it's been two years of no Joker, there is a new serial killer loose in Gotham, and crimes have been pretty much non-existent in Gotham, too. That's the other really weird part about this story, if you know the history of Gotham City. Now, Duke says there's a new, investiga- there's a new investigator that's actually been asking for Harley's expertise, you know, for many reasons, I'm sure. Now, here's the thing. She doesn't want to jump right in. And and again, this is a different Harley in this story. But, you know, there's a little bit of arm twisting from somebody who you might not expect to be even interacting with Harley. But, I mean, it's pretty obvious to her what's going on once she gets into the investigation. And to me, that's where the real story begins. The real story begins on the last page of this first issue for me. The 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 beginning part of this book, and, and it was a good story too, by the way, the beginning part was almost like a, okay, here's where we're at right now. And then the very last page of the book is, here's where we're going to go going forward. You had to set the stage in this story. Even if you've been reading Batman White Knight from the beginning, doesn't matter. You had to set the stage for this particular story, especially with the little bit of a time jump that we get here. It's actually really interesting to see Harley in this new light. And with this is the odd part, too, with a true support system, like a legitimate and kind of unexpected support system, something that she hasn't really had before in other stories. I get that this is a different 
you know, angle of a story. Batman White Knight, White Knight has been that from the beginning. It's just we haven't seen this Harley. Not really. Not this way anyway. And I love the spin that Katana Collins and Sean Murphy put on this thing. I mean, it's no surprise coming from the Batman White Knight universe for me. We also get to see a slightly different backstory or from meeting with Joker that I thought was really, really interesting. But all in all, this was as good as I'd hoped. I like the tweaked character designs in this one too. Really, really interesting. It's just, it's just as much visually appealing as it was fun to read. So I am all about this one and I knew that I would be. Put this one in the poll box. It's Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number one from DC's Black Label. So we go from that to the worst person in the world. It's Scumbag number one from Image Comics. Something new from Rick Remender, so I couldn't wait to dive in. Luis LaRosa on the art here. Moreno Dionisio on the colors. Russ Wooten doing the letters here. Now, this is the story. Uh, again, we're going to have some spoilers in this one. This is the story of Ernie Ray Clementine, and he's the worst person in the world. I mean, the beginning of this story is basically page after page of reasons why this guy is an awful, awful human being. And Rick Remender frames it perfectly and how this and, and Luis LaRosa deserves a, little, a lot of credit for this, too, of framing this just terrible Individual, you know, like in, in the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the the animated version, the song about all the th- reasons that the Grinch is awful. You could almost hear that playing in your head while you're reading this, but to the nth degree, and certainly way more R-rated. That's for sure. Now, as he's in his drunken, drug-induced stupor, Ernie kind of stumbles upon something he really shouldn't have, quite frankly, and he's he's too strung out to even understand. What's going on? And I love the way the art was presented from Ernie's perspective, by the way. Loved how they did that. Now, what's even worse, though, is now the fate of the world is in the hands of this terrible human being who's beyond selfish. And, I mean, you kind of like, really, how is this going to work? I mean, but, you know, there's a lot of focus on Ernie in this book and for good reason. I mean, This book sets the stage. It really wants to make the point of who we're talking about. Let's just put it that way. We don't know much else, though, about the bigger story or the players involved. You get the basics. You get the gist. So you're not lost after this first issue. But I feel like now that we've set the stage with Ernie, we don't need to do that anymore. The rest of this, or at least the second issue anyway, will be the, okay, well, here's the bigger picture of what's going on. Maybe get more detail there. The art feels so real that you can almost smell it. And when you read this book, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about with that. And, and, and it'll make you, maybe make you gag a little bit when you, when you do. Now, there's a pretty intense action scene at one point in this book that's really stepped up, though, by the art. And I'm not just talking about the designs and the land. I'm talking about the way you can sense the movement and feel it, the way it's drawn. Very, very great and very perfect. I mean, you might not want to root for Ernie in the story, but I bet... You'll be curious as to what he's going to be doing next and how the hell he's going to pull off saving humanity and the rest of the world. So this was another one I had high hopes for and definitely was not disappointed by. Let's throw this one in the poll box as well. That thing's getting pretty full, huh? Scumbag number one from Image Comics. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Some interesting nerd news and a very unexpected character 
joining the Snyder Cut. That's up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jay Taylor from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Just when you thought you knew it all about the Snyder Cut, a brand new character gets added into the mix. It's time for nerd news. And I'll be the first to admit, I didn't see this coming at all. But according to The Hollywood Reporter, multiple sources that they cite, Jared Leto's Joker is going to be part of Zack Snyder's Justice League, affectionately known as the Snyder Cut. Now, I will say this much. As I kind of comb through the story here, there's no word on you know how much he's going to be involved. He is part of the reshoots that are going on right now. So there's there's nothing that actually suggests you know how long he's going to be. Is just this just going to be a cameo type thing? Is it going to be a larger role? Is this just going to be you know maybe even a flashback type of situation? There's there's really no word on exactly how much Joker is going to be involved. But at the same time, you're talking about a character that wasn't in the original movie. You're talking about now this, as the story suggests, you know, how much new content are we actually going to be getting here? Is this going to somehow tie into the Suicide Squad movie? Because obviously, you know, we saw Batman in that Suicide Squad movie. It wasn't for long, but, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman was in it. So we knew that this was sort of a shared character universe sort of situation, but seeing Joker come into the Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the first question I had to myself was why? And remember, I didn't hate Leto's performance as Joker. Didn't hate it. I thought that, you know, it it really didn't get a chance. And I think David Ayer makes that point when he talks about his cut of, of Suicide Squad all the time. I don't really feel like they gave Leto's Joker a chance to do anything of substance so I don't think it was necessarily Leto's fault that it didn't exactly work but I just don't understand even even in the Snyder Cut I don't understand how this fits in to the grand scheme of this story I don't see where you cram Joker into this and by the way I would be saying this regardless of who played Joker too by the way I think the why question isn't because it's Leto's Joker from some fans. I know it is for others who hated the portrayal. But I think for some fans, it's more of why have Joker in this movie at all? Like, even if it was Joaquin Phoenix or any uh, anyone else that's played the Joker at live action over the years, I think the question would be why? Where does this fit in? Even in a, in a like a backstory type of situation or flashback, to, it doesn't... Why do we need this? What does this establish in this movie? What? Where are you going with this exactly? And is this just a huge setup for maybe you know seeing the air cut of of Suicide Squad? Is it? Is it that? I can't imagine that they would do that just to just just to introduce that by putting that in the Snyder cut. I don't think that I don't think that that's the reason. But at the same time. Part of me thinks this is just going to be some sort of a cameo or a short-lived appearance. But at the same time, that's a big ask for Jared Leto's too, by the way. I mean, this isn't just like throwing on a bat suit and jumping out there, which I realize isn't an easy thing either. But you got to get, you know, hair and makeup right. You got to put all those tattoos back on there in theory. 
right? I mean, he has to be in similar shape. I know he's probably in shape from the last, you know, comic book role that he did, obviously. But at the same time, there's a lot of factors that go into this that you can't just waltz him on set and all of a sudden it's it's all good again. It's it, There has to be a reason for this, and I can't imagine what that is right now, but I just have to, you know, hold out hope that this is going to make sense. And, I mean, who knows? It's going to be at least until next year before we find out. I don't think we'll actually see him appear in a trailer, to be honest. I don't think that we will see a lot of the reshoot stuff at all in a trailer, but only time will tell if this whole Joker appearance is going to be a big deal or not so big of a deal. Here's something that I think a lot of fans saw a mile away. I've talked about certain shows that are coming to the Quibi streaming service, the short-form streaming service that you can only watch on your phone, and episodes are like 10 minutes, and it was like micro-episodes. It was supposed to be you know, content for mobile users that was very bingeable. Well, now binge no more because Quibi looks like it's folding up its tent after less than a year in business. Now, here's the thing. This is about now, don't quote me on the numbers because I'm not sure of this exactly, but I've seen reports that upwards of $2 billion was spent on this endeavor for Quibi. And that just seems like a ton. I mean, I don't even know if that's right exactly. So feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about that number. But at the same time, a lot was invested. Remember, there were Super Bowl commercials for this. It was a big marketing push, but then there wasn't. It's like there was, but there wasn't, right? And then they never seemed to be able to get off the ground. And here's the thing that baffles me to no end. And this was a statement that was released on Medium from one of the executives. And I want to read parts of this where he says, our goal when we launched Quibi was to create a new category of short form entertainment for mobile devices. And part of you goes, okay, I understand that. Right. But here's the key. When, when they say, although the circumstances were not right for Quibi to succeed as a standalone company, I'm not going to read the rest past that. So you're admitting that this is not a good idea on its own. Basically, right there, you're admitting, you're saying, yeah, so clearly this wasn't a great idea as something that is just a standalone type thing. And I couldn't agree more, by the way. But yet they are going to still be working there. They're going to actually find buyers for some of their assets that they can kind of change and make to their full potential. Like the, the Fugitive reboot was something that was on Quibi that was from Warner Brothers, and now it's just kind of gone, right? So maybe Warner Brothers takes that back and tries to do something different with it. I don't know, or find another home for it. It's I mean, you had Kiefer Sutherland. There were some big names in some of these series. There was another sci-fi-ish series called Don't Look Deeper that looked interesting, but there was other stuff on Quibi where you're like, why? Why Why is this even a thing? But that's, means that's true of any streaming service, right? Or, or even networks, for example. But it, and here's one of the other things that comes from this statement that tells me that they just don't really get it. When they talk about how Quibi doesn't work or isn't working, it's not succeeding. They say it's likely for one of two, two reasons. This is one of the quotes. From the article, it says, because the idea itself wasn't strong enough to justify a standalone streaming service or just because 
of timing. And that's when they go on to sort of blame the coronavirus pandemic on this whole thing. And that's where you start to just make my blood boil because it's like, are you, are, are you kidding? Right? Are you serious? We are in a time where, especially back in, in say, March and April and May, where people were almost unable to leave their homes, right? You couldn't go anywhere, right? You, you, you just couldn't go anywhere. At least you weren't supposed to anyway for fear of the virus or whatever. And that is not a discussion that we're going to have right now. My point is, is that you launched a streaming service when other networks were having to shut things down and all this other stuff. You launched a streaming service that could provide people entertainment in their homes in the palm of their hand for not that big of a subscription price and you feel like that worked against you and not for you that to me is one of the dumbest things that you could possibly say how was that not an advantage for you as a streaming service how did you not leverage that as an advantage you're stuck at home you can't really do anything else except watch TV. And that should have been something that worked for Quibi, not against Quibi. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if you're saying that this is like a in-transit watching type streaming service where people are watching this on the train on the way to work or in an Uber or a Lyft or something like that to get where they're going, that's that's not a successful business model at all. So it's not like people couldn't watch this at home. And that's what people were doing. People were at home. And it's not like people weren't spending money either. This wasn't even something you had to go out to buy. You just subscribe to it from your phone, download the app, and you're ready to go. That is a that is a zero excuse type of situation other than the fact that people were losing their jobs and didn't necessarily have money. That is a valid excuse, but... And while many people lost their jobs, you still had plenty, plenty of opportunity to get subscribers. I mean, look at Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all were able to grow what they were doing subscriber wise and get the buzz generated to keep their business models afloat. And Quibi could not capitalize on that same thing. Now, granted, the others have been around longer. But there's also a strength of leadership there that Quibi clearly, clearly did not have. So do not come at me with the, oh, the pandemic was one of the biggest reasons that we didn't succeed. No, the reason you didn't succeed was your rigidity of only being able to watch this on your phone, to not make it easier for people to watch this on their televisions or cast it onto their TVs to watch it on a bigger screen. There were so many other reasons why this just didn't work. And and people barely even understood what the service was. That was the other problem, right? So it wasn't bad content. It was bad execution and bad leadership and bad marketing. That is why after six months, you had to shutter your streaming service in a time where you should have been able to flourish with it. Some trailers that came out this week, one of them is really, really interesting, and it actually changed my entire perception of the show, and that's the HBO Max series, The Flight Attendant, with Kaylee Cuoco, who you probably know from The Big Bang Theory, or how about 
the voice of Harley Quinn on the Harley Quinn animated series. Now, I I was under the impression that this was just going to be like a comedy series ish about, you know, flight attendants in in a sense, but it's not that at all. There's actually a a a murder mystery involved in this thing. You get to see that in the trailer a little bit. I mean, she ends up just waking up next to a dead guy basically and having no idea what happened and then therein lies the intrigue in the story really. So and the the trailer doesn't dive much deeper than that, but I think the mist in the mystery lies the intrigue in this whole thing, doesn't it? Or at least it does for me anyway. I just and I thought, you know, should I talk about this show or should I not here on the podcast? So I'm thinking, you know, if you this is a, a mystery, but at the same time, I think we could all use a little more funny in our lives as well. Am I right? So I do think that this has an angle that 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 we could enjoy and and want to be a part of the show. And and quite frankly, it's debuting its first three episodes on HBO Max, and that's going to be happening on Thanksgiving Day. So, I mean, sharing Thanksgiving with Kaylee Cuoco, there are worse things, right? So, I just think that this 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 show has a chance to be something that's going to be really, really neat and really different and just something that's just fun, quite frankly. Now, how this how the angle is taken in the first three episodes, I think, will be the key. But then it's going to release in pairs after that, and it'll have a finale around mid-December. So I, they're, they're also taking a unique release approach to this as well, which I think is really, really fun. Speaking of fun, and you know what? Dog this movie if you want to after seeing the trailer. But it's from, Lion, it's from Lionsgate Home Entertainment, and it's Iron Mask. It's basically a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan, of course, plays a Kung Fu master. And then you have James Hook, who's Schwarzenegger's character, who's almost like a pirate-ish kind of character. You kind of do get Captain Hook vibes when you watch this character. And basically what, what Chan needs to do, what Jackie Chan's character needs to do, is he needs to find... A, he needs to send his daughter a secret talisman, and it controls this mythical dragon and help save them from James Hook, the, the evil James Hook played by Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Now, if you look at this trailer, it to me it just looks interesting. It, it, there, there is some, you know, pirate-esque vibes to it. There's also some, you know, martial arts vibes to it as well. And, and I just think that this movie looks fun. Quite frankly, after looking at the trailer, is it going to be like a cinematic story masterpiece or anything like that? Is there going to be some deep meaning to this movie? Likely not. But you know what? Since when is that a bad thing? Have we really gotten to a point where we need everything to be so deep and meaningful and have, you know, hidden messages and and all this other? Can we just have fun with anything? Quite frankly. So, yeah. Is this going to be some of the masterpieces from from the past from Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan? Probably not. But you're going to get some good action sequences in here, I think. You're going to get some fun dialogue, I think. Again, not going to be probably the top-notch dialogue that, that maybe you've gotten from some of the other movies. But at the same time, this one looks fun to me. And I can't wait to see it. It's actually going to be out 
in November as well. It'll be November 20th on digital Blu-ray and DVD on November the 24th. One more trailer to talk about this week, and I'm really excited, actually, to talk about this one. It is a new limited animated series from Amazon, and it's going to be called The Liberator. And let me tell you about this right now. The Liberator is probably some of the most gorgeous animation I've seen in a long time. It almost makes, you almost have to look twice to make sure it's not live action. It's just, it's such a gorgeous and stunning looking animated series. I mean, if you want to look at, if you want to see the trailer and get some of the first look Im- images, go to downandnerdypodcast.com and, and find it because it's amazing. It's actually going to come out on Veterans Day. Perfect for Veterans Day because the deal deals with the events of a tr- based on a true story of something that happened in World War II in September of 1943 called Operation Avalanche where the ally and that was the allied invasion of Italy. I won't read you the entire synopsis here, but if you're looking for like a good war story for right around Veterans Day, it looks like this one's going to be it. You've got Jeb Stewart on as a showrunner. Alex Kershaw going to co-produce as well. You've got Michael Lynn from Lord of the Rings that's going to be a part of this thing. You've also got Gregor's John Katsky. And that, that's the best I can do with that name. Basically, the, the director of Sin City and Pan's Labyrinth is going to be directing this one as well. And everything just looks so epic and so fluid and it, it, again, it this is maybe the highest end of high-end animation that I've seen in a long time. And it's all wrapped up in a war epic that's going to be coming out on Veterans Day. I was just completely blown away when I saw this trailer. I don't know if you will be as well, but I really, really was. So November the 11th is when you're going to be able to see the liberator and it just looks so great it could there could be zero dialogue and i would still want to watch this thing that's how excited i am for it that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to desmond borges by the way for joining me to talk about amazon prime videos utopia i went and watched the series again i got a whole new appreciation for it the second time around so if you haven't watched it the first time yet make sure you're streaming that on Amazon Prime Video. Also, you want more from us? Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, keep following along on social media as well, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, and at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.